This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. Welcome along, everyone. I'm your host, Patrick Smith. And for the first time in my short hosting career on this podcast, we can actually talk about a Liverpool win. Yes, we'll be briefly reflecting upon Liverpool's first win of 2023 against Wolves earlier this week. And then we'll cast our eyes to Saturday's Premier League clash with Chelsea. And there's much more in between that as well. Well, joining me to talk through the latest Liverpool FC topics, we have an Echo triple threat spearheaded by none other than Chief LFC writer Ian Doyle. Hello, Doyle. Plenty of CDs in the background I can see there. Yes, these are CDs for kids who don't remember what CDs are, such as Kiefer. These are things that used to put in a CD player. Listen to music. You have to pay for them. Incredible. <laughs> well, Kiefer waiting in the wings there. Remember the name, the Echo's star boy, Keith McDonald. Kiefer, a bit before our time, those CDs, aren't they? Strange disc-looking things. All my music is stored on this wonderful device these days, so I'm not entirely sure what Dolly's got behind him, but um, yeah, there's there's a lot of them. I'm not sure they'll all be my taste, though. And then rounding off this wonderful panel, we've got Rich Garnet. Rich, I'm sure you're eyeing up Dolly's CDs there. Uh, with great interest, yeah. I was very pleased to learn that they're alphabetically ordered as well. Uh, and, and I like the way that they seamlessly fuse from CDs into books as well. It's a it's a celebration of tangible media, and I think we need a bit more of that from time to time. I mean, who says the Blood Red podcast isn't exciting? Tangible media in alphabetical order. We really get off to flying starts, don't we? <laughs> well, anyway, let's get into the good stuff then. Doyle, we'll come to you first. A bit of Wolves reaction first. I mean, Liverpool's first win of 2023. It's been a pretty dreadful start to the year, let's be honest. It took two weeks to get that win almost. But a pretty positive performance, wasn't it, at Wolverhampton? Yeah, it was a good win. I'm not sure it, it merited the soundtrack that the BBC gave it beforehand, but uh, it was uh, a victory that was a bit of a relief, shall we say, for Liverpool nonetheless. Uh, having, having what was it, four games? They'd have gone four games without a win, which would have been the worst record since October 2018, which does underline how well Liverpool have been doing over the past couple of years. Even the season when you know they lost six at home, was it, on, on the spin, they were still getting results away from home. So... Overall, I think what was interesting for me in terms of the game itself is that it looked a bit more like the Liverpool of old because they had a bit more energy to them. And to be honest, I know I wasn't on the podcast after the Brighton game, which is probably just as well. Um, I thought Liverpool, I was surprised that they went with the same midfielder, Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago. Don't know what they were expecting. You know, the same result. They've looked tired. They've been tired. And I suppose on Tuesday, the big surprise that was Thiago was the one who stayed in. And to be fair, he responded, I thought he was one of Liverpool's best players, if not the best player. And you had Cater came in first start since, um, since last May. He did pretty well. Tired after about 70 minutes, but then seemed to suddenly, you know, had a second wind with about five minutes to go and was running around again. And then you got Stefan Bashketic, Bashketic, Bahetic, whatever we, however we pronounce it. We, we do need to get to the bottom of this. I've mentioned this a few times now. But Stefan the Spaniard, as he's now known, he... Uh, he you know, obviously, we have seen him play quite a few times for the academy team. He just plays the way that he's always played. And I think that's just, you know, he had a few moments. Even Klopp said it. He said, well, I think it was Ed one term. I think it was Jean Moutinho he left on his backside, where I don't think he knew he was there. So it looked like a great term. And he said, Klopp said, well, there was possibly a few moments like that. And there was one bit where he gave the ball to Troy with a square pass. And uh, I think it was Simicast had to make a foul. And Simicast reminded him in no certain terms he shouldn't be doing that. So still, obviously, a learning curve. It's only his third start. But uh, it was positive, positive. And you got Joe Gomez did well at centre back, and Harvey Elliott was very good on the right of midfield. So and, and Cody Gatpo 
He looked a bit more like a player that you could see why Liverpool have signed. It was interesting that he did well in the false nine role as well, which I'm sure is something we'll be debating further on in the season and, and, and beyond. So overall, it was a good win. They kept the clean sheet into the next round. And oh, great. They get to go to Brighton again. Yeah, absolutely. So many positives to take from it. I'm sure we'll get you know much more in depth with those, particularly with our team selector later on in the show. But Kiefer, Stefan Bysetic, I'll help you out the pronunciation there, Dolly. I think that's how it's said, Bysetic. I'm going to go with that anyway. I mean, Kiefer, really composed performance from him. We've you know, waxed lyrical about him on this podcast before. Seems beyond his years. And I mean, the big question is, will he be thrown at the weekend? Do you think he's worthy? Yeah, I, th- I think he is. Uh, you know, I, I kind of echo what Doyle says in, in the sense of after after the Brighton game, um, you know, well, sorry, with the Brighton game, I'm surprised he went with the same midfield. Um, obviously, it was a weird formation in terms of Thiago started at the top as, as like a behind the, the forwards kind of rolling like a number 10 and then obviously we, we dropped to the, the base of midfield. Um, but, you know, I, I think putting, you know, legs around Thiago in, in the form of Bersetic and, and Keita really did help him. Um, but also just in, in terms of like how, how Bersetic is, is kind of you know, all throughout the season, really, in, in the Champions League cameos you've seen from him and, and the game against Derby County, he's kind of just taken like a duck to water. He's a, a really confident player, um, obviously used to having the ball, was was formerly a ball-playing centre-half, so you can obviously see that when he, when he drops deep and, and takes the ball off the, off the goalkeepers. Um, but it's from, from Klopp's press conference today, it also sounds like he, he could be thrown in, um, kind of said that, you know, he uh, he's not someone they need to be too careful with in, in terms of his development, in, in terms of, you know, Perhaps if, if he is ready, um, you know, they're not maybe going to harness him back and, and maybe overprotect him. They are maybe going to put him out there. And, and tomorrow feels like a good opportunity. Um, obviously, you know, we're not sure what Chelsea will go with. I mean, obviously, Kante's obviously done his yearly come back in time to face Liverpool. But I'd, I'd be surprised if he did start. So you're looking at probably Kovacic and... Um, and Jorginho in midfield, so that's another excuse to kind of get legs in and around them, and and maybe aid, aid Thiago in in terms of you know getting the best out of him at this stage of his career. But um, yeah, no, I, I thought obviously it was a, an experienced midfield he was up against in, in you know players like Matinho and Neves, but you know he really did really did hold his own, and, and that's something that we've you know become used to seeing this season from him. So I think the next step is to kind of you know put him into a, a big Premier League game, um, but it's it's obviously a big call. Um, you know, I think if obviously if it goes right and Liverpool win tomorrow and Bissetage is kind of at, at the base of that, you know, Klopp's going to get pl- plenty of plaudits. But, you know, on the flip side of that is if it does all go wrong and, you know, obviously Chelsea, they have had their struggles this season, but they, they have still got you know, many world-class players. Um, you know, if it does go wrong, maybe maybe it kind of fires back in their face a bit. So it'll be interesting to see with with kind of what he does go with. But I think the, the bottom line to it is that it would send a really powerful message to the kind of the, you know, on, on, on paper Klopp's... Um, his first choice midfield of, of Thiago, Fabinho, and Henderson. If one of those are kind of made way for for a nineteen year old in in a, in a big game at Anfield, in in one that is you know really feels now that you know we've said it so many times this season, but Liverpool really do need to start putting a string of wins together, and obviously doing it against Chelsea at Anfield, regardless of the, the positions in the league table, is, is always going to be a big statement. So I think if if you were to throw him in for that, it's it's a massive statement, and, and maybe kind of the wake up call that a few of them do need. You could say the same, you know, about, about Naby Keita probably vying for a start. I thought, thought he'd been good in his cameos this year. Uh, I thought he did, did well at Brentford um, and, and obviously did, did well the other night. He said did start to tie, but obviously that's expected. So, you know, it, it feels like now after, you know, a couple of weeks of kind of relying on, well, say a couple of weeks, a couple of months of relying on the same field this season and with injuries and, and fitness issues like that, it now feels like, you know, they do have a string of options that they, they could kind of, deploy tomorrow and it'll be really interesting to see how Klopp kind of does, does strike that balance. 
Yeah, I'd be taking a chance on him. I mean, I don't think it's as sink or swim as some people are making out to be because Chelsea are in terrible form this season. We have to remember, I think it's the perfect opportunity. You know, it could be a big Premier League win against Chelsea, you know, big win under his CV, under his belt by Chetich at such a young stage in his career. But Rich, as Keith mentioned there, I mean, the player impressed me the most in the Wolves and was Naby Keita. I mean, obviously, by Chetich is going to get all the plaudits. He's a young player coming through. It's much more exciting, say, than the divisive figure, to put it lightly, of Naby Keita. But he really, really impressed me since he's come back from injury. And do you think he's almost nailed on to start at the weekend? Um, well, you'll probably be devastated to learn that I probably sit on the other side of the fence <laughs> when it comes to Naby Keita. Uh, if you were impressed with him, but I thought I thought he did fine against um, Wolves. I want look. I, it was Liverpool needed a win, and they got one. And they played much better, which is why they've beaten what was a pretty awful Wolves side, to be honest with you. They played well in the first half. They pressed high. They they, they had high energy levels and and went in a goal. I'm not quite sure what the goalkeeper was doing, but they went in a goal to the good. Um, great. In the second half, I didn't think they were, were quite as much at it, to be honest with you. And a better team um, may have got something out of that game or, or forced it into extra time. Certainly, Wolves had opportunities to do that, and I thought they were wasteful in certain areas. Uh, and Keita, Keita is one of them. I think he's he's done okay, and he could could well start tomorrow. But I, I only think it's what is expected of him. You know, a lot a lot of money was spent on him, and he's been at been at Liverpool for a, for a, a good while now, and and you know could could be on his way at the end of the season. But the, the, as far as I'm concerned, he was really just meeting expectations. He just needs he needs to build on that now and 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 if you know make make there's there's places up for grabs isn't there in this midfield that that sort of established three isn't as far from pulling up trees it's underperforming so there are opportunities for other players like uh, Basic and and, and Keita to stake the claim and I think I think he will get an opportunity tomorrow to do that but he he needs to do something that makes people turn around. And say, yeah, Kater, we really need them in there. And I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced he's done that yet. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, unsurprisingly, he's still causing debate. Now, okay, Dolly, do you want to weigh in on the navigator one there? I feel like you're about to say something. No, I wasn't. Oh, wonderful. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing for me as well is um, we had a quick peek yeah, we don't at the Team yet, anyway. No, we don't want to give too many hints yet. We'll, we'll get into all that later. But I mean, just a quick one on Ruben Neves and uh, Mateus Nunes for me. Two players linked with Liverpool. They haven't massively impressed me over the past couple of matches against the Reds. So I'm not entirely sure that they're the answer to the Liverpool midfield question. But speaking <clears> of spending, Doyle, I'm going to come to you on this because Liverpool in the week, they moved up to third in the Deloitte Money League. It's basically an annual profile listeners of the highest revenue generating clubs in world football. So it's based on revenue. Now, Dolly, Liverpool seems to be making a lot of money. And the question that lots of our listeners, lots of our viewers and supporters are asking is, if they're making all this money, why can't they spend more money? Well, what was it? 60-odd percent of it's gone on the wages straight off. So you're left with 30-odd percent. Uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed they're building a new stand behind one of the goals. So and I reckon that's part of it's gone there. And they did spend, how much was it in the summer? I know they got some money back from sales. I think I can't even remember what the net spend was at the summer. But even then, that doesn't include that. That doesn't include that. But you could argue that that 500 and whatever, 700 million euros that they've made, the profit from that has then gone on spent on, you know, they've, they've used it to spend it on new contracts on 
because that didn't involve that didn't include Mo Salah's new contract, for example. So that would be that would cost a fair bit, and on new players. So it's not as if you know they're not spending the money. They just, I mean, the interesting thing for me, and I'm not the first person to say this, and I won't be the last, but it's Liverpool managed to make quite a lot of money on the commercial side, but they would you know dwarf by Manchester City and. It's always amazed me how Manchester City can make so much money as a commercial enterprise when they don't seem to. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but they don't seem to have quite as many fans as, say, Manchester United or or Liverpool or even, say, Arsenal or Chelsea. And they certainly don't have as many fans as Real Madrid or Barcelona or, or, or teams like that. And it's so it does surprise me that, I mean, where are they? Where are they all? Or, or, is, it, or is it just because the, they're such dedicated fans of Manchester City, they are buying multiple amounts of stuff it could well be that but even then it's more to do with the contract uh, the uh, you know the commercial deals itself the sponsorship with all these companies that all actually exist so um yeah i think for, for liverpool to be ahead of manchester united in that particular table which was the headline news really for liverpool kind of underlines the problem that might be coming up because united haven't done particularly well in the champions league in the last couple of years they weren't even in it was it last is it this year they're not in it this year are they yeah they're not in it this year so, I mean, they're almost certainly going to be in next year. So, it, it's Liverpool, it shows the value of being in the Champions League. And, you know, everyone said this a million times over, but when you actually then see it in that table and you see the amount that they're making, it shows you that uh, they made an extra 70 odd million euros from the run to the, to the Champions League final, where that's where all the money is. And that's why the teams are so obsessed getting into the top four. And it once again underlines that particular fact. So, yeah, it's good that the top of, well, in the top three, of that tale, but they're to be in the top three of the Premier League. And going back to your initial question, where's the money gone? Well, they've, they've spent it. Simple as that. Yeah, it does sort of paint that illusion that there is loads of money there, a big war chest as such, but that really isn't the case. I mean, that's the impression they've made. It's a nice one for clearing that up. But I mean, Kiefer, you look at Chelsea and their approach, particularly in this January transfer market. I mean, we're going to be talking a lot about Chelsea because it's a very interesting one ahead of this weekend's match. Josh Williams was saying on Analyzing Anfield yesterday, they've got this scattergun approach of recruitment, which is quite a good description of it, I think. I mean, you know, Liverpool sort of more sensible in the way of not going out and spending 100 millions on a few random players, or do you think now is the time Liverpool sort of needs to be taking risks in the market, especially on the fielders? No, I think, I think what Chelsea are doing is, is just absolutely wild. Um, I mean, even, you know, going back to, to Thomas Tuchel's days at Chelsea and well, his final days and his final weeks and kind of, you know, the way he was sacked and it, and it was said that, you know, there was, you know, maybe the management and the board weren't aligned in the kind of the long-term visions for the club, but, you know, they just brought in, you know, 33-year-old, I think he is, Pierre Macalbamian, on, on big wages. Um, you know, then one week into his Chelsea career, kind of, he's out of favour and, and now, you know, I think he's obviously played for Barcelona this this season, he's played for Chelsea, so I don't think he can actually play for another club. Um, and so he's kind of stuck at Chelsea or if, unless Barcelona are going to take him back. So I think that kind of just sums up Chelsea's problems and, and you know that there have been some you know some good signings. I think that the lad from PSV has, has been decent for you know eighteen months or so. He's he's kind of you know made a bit of a name for himself after after leaving Tottenham. Um, that Mudrick from from Shakhtar, obviously that's you know big big money we're talking about here, and and maybe one that Arsenal will look back at the end of the season and think you know getting someone like Leandro Leandro Trossard for you know a quarter of the fee with that Premier League proven experience on on a much less. Uh, a much smaller contract as well is, you know, potentially a, a better deal. Um, so I think, you know, I think it, it strikes me when, when you listen to Graham Potter talk and you listen kind of to his interviews and his, his press conference, it just strikes me as someone who doesn't have much control, maybe maybe similar to kind of the, the Steve Cooper thing at Forest, maybe a lot of the signers are being directed from above. And 
And obviously, we're seeing that they're giving them these big contracts. Uh, obviously, the Mudrick one was seven and a half years, um, uh, seven and a half years with, with the option of a, of a further twelve months, which you know takes them what a year and a half off a testimonial, which is which is just absolutely wild. So, um, the, the, you know, there's certainly big risk for Chelsea. And 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 the one thing is, is obviously the, the way they kind of got around the FFP is by putting them on these long contracts and, and spreading the cost out over you know seven eight years. But, you know, this is something Chelsea are only going to be able to do once. You know, if you add so many contracts together, you are eventually going to, you know, go over that FFP, that financial fair play, uh, that, that, you know, you, you are going to break those limits. So, you know, if they are taking all these risks. It does feel like they're not really doing it in a strategic way that, you know, they could do with some centre-halves, some midfielders themselves. Um, but it seems they're just going for attackers and, and, and wide forwards, which is all well and great. But I think they've got seven or eight and then... Something that Klopp touched on the other days, you've got the Champions League squads coming up for the second half of the season. You've got the Premier League squads and kind of, you know, the the administration side of that is, is very difficult to get players in and the right number of players in and, and the B-lists and all that kind of thing. So, you know, I think Chelsea are going to have a headache and I'm sure, pretty sure there's no way all of their seven or eight January signings so far are going to be able to be included in, in both squads. So, you know, that, that opens up a dressing room kind of toxicity um so yeah you know i think whilst liverpool's approach and i think everyone who's ever been on blood red this season has has kind of said that they do need new midfielders and you know it, it would have been you know right to strengthen i think i think if they get it right this summer i think they've, they've backed themselves i think it's just that that element of, of fear if they don't get you know a jude bellingham someone who is their number one which then it is kind of the thing of obviously they missed out on too many last summer, um, and then they kind of put all their eggs in this Bellingham basket. And obviously if they don't get him, and and they've got Oxley Chamberlain leaving, they've got James Milner leaving. You know who have, obviously haven't played loads of minutes, but his body's in a squad, isn't it? And you, you've got Naby Keita to add to that as well. So I think that's the, the you know I think yeah, yeah it's a difficult season, and I think it is more than I think if Liverpool brought in a midfielder, don't, midfielder, I don't think that would immediately fix all the problems. I think you know there is problems on the front in the absence of, of Diaz and Jota, who are probably Liverpool's two best press, pressers, you know, since Sadio Mane's departed. So obviously that's gonna that's gonna um that's gonna really hamper any team, you know, as good as you are in, in other areas of the field. But you know, if they if they get a midfield this summer and they've done it in a sensible way, similar to that kind of Van Dyke deal where they, they waited the six months, um, you know, options like Kula Bali were mentioned at the time, but you know, Klopp was, you know, fairly adamant that he wanted Van Dijk and he got his man. And I think if they can replicate something similar with, with Jude Bellingham or someone of his stature and, and kind of bring in someone else as well, maybe of a of a lower lower profile, I think that would that would be a a, a great window and, and they would have, you know, rightly been proved right not to, to kind of waste that, you know, 60, 70, 80 million that they, they could have spent on a, on a two or many replacement. So I think obviously time will tell, but I, I certainly think Chelsea's scattergun approach to, to life in the transfer market is... Uh, is, is certainly something not. To, is certainly not something that I would be comfortable with Liverpool doing because it, it feels like very quickly you, you can, you know, you can generate very big problems within the squad, which is obviously something you know Klopp's alluded to before. You know, harmony's key in in a squad. You know, fighting on all fronts. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more on that. Liverpool transfer approach has worked for for so many years is the important thing to remember as well. I mean, we've sort of seen a not scattergun approach with Liverpool a sort of panic side. I mean, Artemelo could be a prime example of that. Of Liverpool in midfielder, they've panicked and got one in. You know, let's say they signed him on a permanent deal, like Chelsea doing some of their players, and you've got them for eight years or so. That's when it can really pose some problems. I mean, Mikhail Mudrik, the player they've just signed from Shakhtar, relatively unproven. He must be a you know an amazing talent to be 100 million pounds, but spread over eight years on a contract. I'm not exactly sure about that. But Rich, we saw Chelsea also have a bid turned down for Moises Caicedo of Brighton, the player who every day there's a new story linking him with Liverpool somehow. 
Chelsea had that rejected, £55 million. Now, Brighton are very shrewd in the transfer market. I mean, they've obviously let Trossard go for a reduced fee with the situation there, but they seem to get good money for their players. Now, we're all presumably big fans of Kaiseida, but do you think he's worth that money? Because it's probably going to look upwards of 70, maybe even 80 million pounds, isn't it, Rich? What did we sign Fabino for? Can anyone remember? No. Uh, it was about, 40, wasn't it? Yeah. So, if you... If you Pitch it against that. It doesn't sound so bad then, does it? I don't think. Um, ideally, I think when that sort of profile of player coming from sort of, I want to call them a mid-table side, but when you've got Fulham, Brentford and Brighton all above you in the table, things are uh, looking a bit different, aren't they? But the, So the, I can't even call them that at the moment. But certainly when you're taking a player from a club, you would expect to uh, see a move to Liverpool uh, or uh, an established top sort of top six club uh, as a step up, you, you probably want to be playing a bit less than that. You probably want to be paying about thirty-five million. So I think it, if unless you you considered yourself absolutely desperate to make that signing, as as Chelsea appear to have been in pretty much every position across the park, it, it's probably not the right time to do it, is it? If you, especially if you think there's better value to be achieved um, in the summer, and also if you've got other targets that if you didn't land that one. You, there's other people that you could bring in for you know for a similar similar fee in the summer then fine that probably not worth that level of investment uh, and of course they've spent money on uh cody gapo as well so it's not like they haven't spent a penny in this transfer window a player a player has been brought in that's that, that's cost some money probably about the same as, as what i say they would have, would have costed um so i would have liked to have seen him come yeah definitely definitely We've already talked about we need that that area of the, of the field need needs shaken up a little bit and I, I think we can almost safely say that it looks like there probably won't be any major additions between now and uh, the end of the month in which case you, you're going with what you've got and is that enough to get Liverpool into the Champions League that is very much uh, up for debate isn't it and, and you do risk missing out on the top four and at the moment if I was you know if you were uh, asking me to, to to make a prediction which you haven't but I'm going to offer you anyway um, <laughs> I don't think they will qualify for the Champions League they're going to have to really up the game in order to do that and go on a sustained run of results which so far this season has looked beyond them so you, you, you've got an, an extra problem obviously if you finish outside the top four is can you still attract the best players um, and if you can't, can you attract the, or, or if you do, can you attract the right characters, ones that might say, all right, Liverpool haven't qualified for the Champions League this year, but we're building a team here. I know the manager's first class. Uh, we'll probably be back in it a year later and, and go from there. So um, you've got to cut out the mercenaries from the uh, from the, the the better better suited players for the team. Um, but yeah, I, if, if we get to, you know, if we get to the summer and he hasn't been signed by anyone else and he's still in the mix, he's, he, he's someone I'd like to see come in. Just just on the other point, though, about the commercial aspect, whilst uh, whilst Kiva was talking, I had a quick look at to see how many commercial partners Manchester City have they've got. And they've got 47 commercial partners. Some of them are quite well known. Some of them I've never heard of. One of them is called Dude Wipes. So I'm not quite entirely sure what they are. But if they if they can't take you to the top of the uh, Deloitte uh, table... I don't know what can, uh, but yeah, the, the, there's, there are teams that are throwing money about 
um, because they feel like they can and they want to compete at the top level. And, and it's just not been Liverpool's way to to just chuck the money about like confetti. But I do think further down the line, if if changes come in in terms of investment, and I know we haven't touched on that yet, but but uh, I, I, I'm kind of expecting that approach to change a little bit. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I can confirm to a quick Google dude wipes out exactly what they sound like, Rich. So <laughs> can, I, can I actually read out what it says? Oh, go on. Dude wipes are the answer for sealing off the perfect wipe and giving you a clean getaway from a messy bowel movement. There you go. <laughs> At our age, oh. we need that probably. Do you know what? I'll, uh, maybe we could get some sort of uh, endorsement for Blood Red. Uh, for <laughs> me and on, at least. I'll ping an email off after Rich because this has been an absolute belter of a podcast so far. I mean, they can't say no, really. Can they free promotion for them there? Anyway, collective interest with City, we're fine, aren't we? <laughs> Let's move swiftly from that and wipe that one away, shall we? Ha <laughs> ha. Doily, you're going to be at Anfield on Saturday for Liverpool against Chelsea. Now, both sides are in tumultuous positions this season. I mean, Chelsea are in tenth place. Should they get a result at Anfield, they could leapfrog Liverpool tonight, which would move Liverpool into tenth. I mean, both clubs. I mean, it's got to be the lowest league positions I've seen them face off in certainly during my lifetime. What's going on for Chelsea this season? Yeah, no, your Liverpool lifetime? How old are you? About six. <laughs> I'm 23, though. I've, I've, I've only known Chelsea as a top team in my lifetime because, you know, I was um, a kid when Abramovich came in. So, to me, it's strange to see both clubs struggling so much. I mean, it's quite a rarity. But Chelsea have had as many problems as Liverpool on the pitch this season, haven't oh. they? What was it? What year was it that Chelsea won the league? And then the following year, they ended up finishing something like... It wasn't 11th or 10th, was it? It was very it was low down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... Um, was that 2015? Yeah, and then they played just before the Europa League final, didn't they? And Liverpool were eighth and they were tenth. And I think there you go. Match, yeah. Oh, well, that, there's me told. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I probably got the doctors. You might have some memory issues there. Um, <laughs> what was the question? There you go. See, I need to go as well. <laughs> what are Chelsea's problems on the pitch this season? Because similar to Liverpool, they're struggling as well. I mean, it's not exactly <laughs> as exciting as <laughs> Liverpool Chelsea tie, is it? Well, the, the, the other lads are. Touched on the problem is the problem is that they got a new owner, Todd Bowley. Is that how you pronounce it? And um, he seems to think it's FIFA or something or football manager. It's like just going off and just buying players all the time. I think they spent something like four hundred, nearly four hundred million since the summer. Well, since the end of last season, they spent something like one hundred and seventy-five million or one hundred twenty-five million this month alone. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised in the you know the course of recording this podcast they've actually signed somebody in that time. Because they're just signing everybody, and they all seem to be in the same position up front. How many wingers do they want? So it's a little bit odd. I mean, I probably have we all seen the little the little meme of the the the, the tweet that was knocking around of like Graham Potter welcomes his playing staff on February the first. Yeah, anybody who hasn't seen it, please go and have a look at that one. It's very funny. Um, but you got the money. They've been spending it. It has been a little bit willy-nilly all over the place. Um, I feel sorry for Graham Potter because he obviously is a very good manager. Did very well at Brighton. Uh, although, given how the, the deserve he's done at Brighton, it does suggest that it wasn't just down to the manager. It was the players as well. So that's been a bit instructive. But for any manager going into Chelsea now, basically it's just his plaything, isn't it? That they're the owner at the moment. It looks like that anyway. And it's been reflected with the performances. I mean, I know they've got quite a few injuries and um, I almost suspect that he thinks that if someone's injured 
you have to go out by by replacement because the other players are never going to come back. Well, what's going to happen when they all come back to fitness in a couple of weeks? It's like, oh, they're all here now. So anyway, that's not Liverpool's problem. Uh, we've seen that Klopp has consistently said, well, he's actually said recently that the ideal is to have two players for every position, which is something that I think Barcelona did that years and years ago. I think they came out and said that's what they tried to do. That's been the way forward for most squads. And uh, I think Chelsea are looking at two for each position, except an attack where it's about 15 for each position. So, strange one. But with all that, those players and that quality, they're always a danger. And while they've had some absolutely terrible results, I mean, they were absolutely dreadful against Manchester City in the FA Cup, losing 4-0. They're very capable of coming to Anfield and getting the results, especially given the way that Liverpool have been playing at the moment. I know we were saying, you know, well done, the win against Wolves by a crew of Rich. I thought Wolves were absolutely rubbish. And they did have a few chances, but... You know, they didn't really have a, you know, Jimenez is it's not quite been the same since so he had his head injury. Uh, God, I don't know what Triori is. You know, he's, he's an athlete who sometimes turns up as a footballer. Um, and I think some of the players possibly just gone a little bit too over the hill. And they, but they, you know, they got one or two good players. But again, Liverpool just have to win, and that's what they're going to have to do on Saturday as well, no matter how they do it. And I know we're going to touch on our teams in a bit. I'll be, I will be interested to see how many people, how many players actually survive from. The Brighton game uh, to go back into the start of life. It won't be all of them. It'll be probably more than people think, but it won't be all of them. But Chelsea, yeah, they going back onto what Rich said. Chelsea are. I think Liverpool have got more chance of finishing the top four than Chelsea and Tottenham. And I basically think it's between Liverpool and Newcastle for fourth place. With Newcastle having a seven-point start, is it? Well, ten points with a game in hand start. So Liverpool have to go to Newcastle. So it's not going to be easy. But I don't necessarily think that Newcastle. You've seen recently they've had a bit of a wobble, but they don't lose games, but they tend to just draw them. And if you draw too many, you can just start slipping down. So we'll have to wait and see. But in terms of Chelsea, just a strange club. Bear in mind, what was it this time last year? Was it was it this time last year? No, it wasn't quite this time last year. It's almost 12 months ago that they were almost going to not go out of business, but they were going to lose all their money because obviously Abramovich had lost all of his and it does seem as though what at the time appeared like a bit of a saviour has become a little bit not quite what they expected. But I would imagine he's got that much money that the new owner is going to learn very quickly because he'll want Chelsea to be a success like every single owner does. So yeah, it will be uh, Liverpool just have to make the most of uh, this situation at the moment and get the win tomorrow. Yeah, strange thing as well you mentioned there, though, looking back, I mean, at least in December last year, or December of the year, just gone in 2021, it would have been. Liverpool and Chelsea are both in the title race. I mean, Chelsea were right up there until they sort of fell off a cliff completely in the start of 2022. And yeah, you mentioned that, I think it is between Newcastle, Liverpool, Spurs and Chelsea. I think the thing for Newcastle that favours them, though, they're not expecting to get Champions League football necessarily. I mean, the position they're in now, surely they'll be looking at it, but... I think if they don't make it, you know, it's not the end of the world for them. European football, no matter what, is good. So I kind of think that gives them an advantage because they've technically got nothing to lose. I mean, that sounds ridiculous to say no one wants to lose Champions League football, but there's a lot more at stake for, say, Liverpool, Spurs and Chelsea. Anyway, Kiefer, I'll come to you next because, you know, it's been a really, really strange season for Chelsea. Hopefully for Liverpool, Darwin Nunes is going to come back into the fold. Klopp hinted today that he'd likely be involved. I mean, he's coming back from injury, of course. We're not sure the extent of what he'll play, but would you be throwing him into this one? Yeah, absolutely. I think Liverpool massively missed him at Brighton last weekend. Um, I thought it was a game that really would have suited him. I mean, you can say that about most games, but I just I just thought with how high Brighton were playing, there was a lot of space in behind and it got quite compact in midfield. And 
obviously I know Liverpool weren't at their best in, in midfield in terms of duels and, and kind of winning back and their, their pressing, but it just felt if they kind of had someone as kind of an out ball, which we saw, you know, early on, I think Gakpo got in behind once and, and the goalkeeper comes out, but, you know, it felt like, you know, I'm not saying Liverpool would have won the game or even or even got a draw, but I just it just felt, you know, would have would have probably made a bit more would have you know to kind of have him involved would have would have benefited them on the day and, and you know probably it, there's no chance they probably would have been any worse. Um, obviously, Klopp said earlier didn't well Klopp said on on, on Monday before this game it kind of kind of sounded like if the game was on Wednesday he, he might have had a chance, but obviously given the quick turnaround they, they decided against it and and obviously that looks like a good decision now. You know, Liverpool have got through and, and Nunes has had a extra couple of days and you know they're training today so from what it sounds like he is going to be involved which is obviously going to be you know a boost for Liverpool because like I say you know even if he hasn't completely settled into to you know to life on Merseyside yet I think you know just the presence he kind of gives you in in, in attack and he's a I know people have compared him to Timo Werner in, in a sense but he's just a willing runner isn't he and I think you know if you if you are going to we, we spoke about how Liverpool might need to change their approach in in the sense of, you know, dropping their, their line maybe five or ten yards and, and maybe playing a bit more of the, the kind of counter-attacking football that we saw in the early days of Jurgen Klopp. And, and obviously someone who is going to have that is, is is Nunes, who, you know, is able to be kind of be the outlet and you know, he's big, he's strong, he's powerful. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would hope that he's involved tomorrow. It's certainly obviously going to boost Liverpool's, Liverpool's chances of, of, you know, beating Chelsea. But I think ultimately for him as well, it's... You know, it's he had that good run before before the World Cup break, and I think if he can kind of get back to that, we saw a few signs at Brentford. He was, a, you know, a bit unlucky with a few chances. Same at Villa, um, but you know, you kind of really hope now that he can kick on. Obviously, there's, there's not a break till, till March, the March internationals. So he's got what five or six weeks, seven weeks maybe to, to kind of kick on and, and hopefully kind of replicate that form because, you know, it was it was a bit of a shame with the you know the, the World Cup campaign that he he did endure. It felt like it came at the wrong time for him. I know he's done well at club level, but you just thought maybe if there was five or six more games for Liverpool, he would have really gotten into his stride and, and you know, shut up a, a lot of people who kind of had their input so far this season. But obviously that wasn't to be the case. So you're just hoping that now he'd be able to return and, and you know, there isn't any lasting effects of this this hamstring injury and, and you know, Liverpool will be uh, all the better for it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I'm sure we'll delve more into the world of Darwin during our team selectors, which we'll go into now then. So let's pick our teams for Liverpool against Chelsea. Rich, we'll come to you first. We presume that Alison Becker will definitely be starting between the sticks. Who are you going to go for on the back four? There's some pretty impressive displays and then more than Joe Gomez looked very tidy against Wolves. Are you going to give him a chance? No. <laughs> um, I'm going with Trent, Matip, Canate, Robertson. Um, I think that's your back four. Well, whilst you haven't got Virgil van Dijk, um, Gomez is okay, but I'd rather see Matip and Canate uh, as a central partnership, and I think that needs to develop. We've seen how many how many different back fours of Liverpool had this season. Is it like fourteen or something? It's something something absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Um, and, and, and <laughs> consciousness changing again, but but yeah, that that's what I'd go with. Uh, Allison in goal, but and again. Alisson, Alisson has bailed Liverpool out time and time again this season. You know, you could argue he's been Liverpool's player of the season. Just got to look out for those little silly mistakes. We've seen it with other goalkeepers as well, haven't we, um, in, in recent matches. And I'm sure I'd be conscious of it. But yeah, I'll go with Trent, uh, Matip, Canate and Robert. Yeah, maybe a little dig at Mr Lloris there, Rich. Doyley, what's your back four going to look like? 
I never liked Lloris. I don't think he's particularly good. He's a he's a decent goalkeeper, but he's not world class. And he was within a couple of penalties of captaining a team to win the World Cup twice. So, I mean, what does that show me? It shows me I know nothing. Now, pay attention to what I'm saying when I say that uh, Alison Becker should be in goal. Disagree on Matip. Matip was so bad against Brighton, it's almost untrue. Worst game he's ever played. And I think that the way Liverpool play at the moment, if you have one good game, you're in. And Gomez played a very good game, took his chance, so he's playing. Trent right back, there was I was just thinking maybe he might play Milner, but Trent always plays against Chelsea, and there must be a reason for that. Also, Milner's only just come back from injury. He could be one of the first subs to come on. Canati uh, <clears throat> and Robertson. Kiefer, it looks like you've got the deciding vote then on the centre-half decision. Who are you going to go for on yours? I'm, I'm, I really am split. Um, I think Dolly might have just swayed me his into his camp, but... Um... Yeah, I do agree. I mean, you know, Matip was obviously hooked early at Brighton and as Dolly says, one of his, well, it's not his probably worst performance during his, his time at Liverpool. And, you know, we're going to speak about the midfield shortly, but I, I think, you know, Gomez was, was steady alongside Canate and, and that's, you know, largely tipped to be kind of Liverpool's, well, a lot of people hope to be Liverpool's, you know, partnership for the future. Um, so it kind of feels like if you weren't, you know, if you're, if you're not going to start rewarding you know, form and, and, and maybe punishing bad performances at this stage of the season as, as like a revamp, when are you going to start doing it? So, um, I think he'll go Matic, but I would like to see him go Gomez. So I'm gonna, gonna sit on the fence. But yeah, I, I think if, if it is if it is Gomez and uh, if it is Gomez and Canate, it's, it's more than deserved. Yeah, I agree. I think you definitely play players on form in this situation, this strange situation. Liverpool find themselves in. I'd chuck Joe Gomez in there alongside Canate as well. Dolly, let's go to you then in the midfield. Now oh, there's going to be some interesting selections. I'm sure there'll be some changes. I'm sure. Are you going to give Stefan Basetic the chance? Or are you going to go in the safe option with Fabinho? I'm not going. That's not the safe option, is it? Not if safe. Anything, it's the, the unsafe option. The expected I mean, option. Uh, well, there's no. I don't think Bashkettis plays. No, uh, he went off cramp after 70 minutes, didn't he? So, and he's just come back from an injury. Although Klopp said, you know, he, he's part of the first team squad now. You're not playing him against Chelsea. I don't think Fabinho plays. But I think that the other two are Cater and Thiago because Thiago was very good against Wolves. Cater. Maybe not quite as good as Pat was making out, but certainly better than Rich was making out. So um, split down the middle there. Get uh, off the fence, Doyle, come on. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not getting off the fence. I'm giving the accurate representation of his game. Um, so, yeah, I think Cater's done enough. I don't think, to be fair, I don't think he'll play the 90 minutes. But then, as I said, you've got Milner, Baskettic, Henderson. You could even put Ox in there. You know, there's, there's, it, there's suddenly now quite a few players. that they, uh, Curtis Jones, so there's five that they could bring in just in midfield alone. So, yeah, I think you play the players that are in form. <clears throat> I, I think Fabinho's more informed than Henderson. Bushkettich won't play, so Fabinho plays. And then obviously Thiago and, uh, and Keita. Uh, well, then Kiefer, you were speaking before on Bicetic. Are you going to be the one that gives him the chance, our fellow young prospect, shall we say? I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw him in. Uh, I'm going to go for the same midfield. I'm going to go Bicetic, uh, Thiago and Keita. Um, I know I completely understand what Dolly's saying in, in terms of, you know, playing for Binho and, and kind of, I think you've kind of got to have one of those kind of senior heads around. Um, but obviously he dropped for Binho, didn't he, for the, for the game at Old Trafford in August and if I'm right as well at the Emirates. So it shows that he's not scared to make big decisions in, in regards to Fabinho and his form this season. And, you know, as, as we've just alluded there with the, with the defence, you know, play players on form. And, and as I said to you before the, the pod started, Pat, you know, it's maybe feels like the next stage of his is is kind of you know his development is to kind of maybe give him a, a big game like this. It might come too soon, but I'm sure we'll find out. But I think he's he's more than 
after I know it was only Wolves, but he's he's showed in in his cameos this season as well and his performances that he's he's, he's confident enough and he's brave enough, and I think that's all you can ask for. Well, this is one of the most entertaining and divisive team selectors we've had. Rich, you've got another decider then in the number six role in your midfield, if you want to talk us through that, and then also go straight into your front line as well. Tricky. And I think I may have had my head turned a little bit, to be honest, because wasn't sure on starting with Bezetic before we came on. And then I was like, well, actually, you're right. I mean, will he get his chance? Are we going to put in plays who've done well and, and performed? But the point about him coming off, it is a valid one. Um, and I've got a thing about overplaying young players. Like, I think at the start of the season, Harvey Alec played too much um, and that didn't do him any favours. And it's one of them, Klopp's sort of said, I don't think we need to be too careful with, with him. Um, but I, I think because I'm so safe, as you might, coin it pat I think I probably would just go with Fabino um because of the gra- gravity of the match and uh and that extra level of experience that it, that it gives you um but whether he lasts the game or not I don't know I mean if you weren't entirely happy with Fabino you, you've still got an option of putting Milner in that role as well it's not you know it's not out of the realms of possibility but I'll 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 go with Fabino uh, with uh, understudy Stefan on hand if uh, if anything goes wrong or if we need to mix it up a little bit. The other two in there, I'd have Thiago in. Who I thought just on your point about Wolves, you say not being too impressed with the Wolves players who linked him. I am actually quite a big fan of Ruben Neves. I think he's really good and I think he played well at Anfield and and is a good player. He's not necessarily what Liverpool need because I think in terms of the qualities he's got. Um, is uh, a bit probably a little bit too similar to, to Thiago, apart from the fact that he can score thirty-yard screams. Uh, but 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 Thiago, I thought schooled him a little bit um, the other night, and Thiago's in, and Naby Keita gets another chance to prove that he should, could string together a run of games. Um, will he let me down? He might do. After your only words, which you are going for Keita. I'm going Keita's in, yeah. Cases in. They, they need to change something in that midfield from from what was the established trio. Um, and it, it, I don't think Harvey Elliott in a tree in that sort of trio works for me, as I, I've basically been saying all season. So uh cases in on, on that basis. You know, they've spent some money on him. Let's let's have a bit of a return on it before they let him leave on a free at the end of the season. And then you attack them, Richie, if you want to lead us into that. Um, well, if Nunes is available, he's got to go straight back in. Um, if you look at the game on which apparently Liverpool were much better in against Wolves, they only had two shots on target in the whole match, seven shots in total. Uh, Wolves had 11. Uh, you know, it's, it's not really good enough, is it? We need a bit more than that. And, and Nunes has had a few issues uh, converting these chances in front of goal. And I have. I've been critical of him through the season. I don't think he's necessarily been technically as good as his predecessor. Um, Kiefer said to me a couple of months back that he'd go to war for Darwin Nunes. Now, you know, I'd probably, I may still be sat back in the barracks, um, letting him go over the top. I don't know, but but I'm, I'm, I am I am I'm on the side of Nunes now because what I see with him as a player who, who is working really hard 
uh, is, is a nightmare to mark and, he, and he's getting chances. He's not like he's trotting around a bit anonymous or anything. Um, so I do think uh, things are going to start happening for him very soon. So I have Nunes in with um, Salah in his usual spot and um, Kogi Gappo on the other side, who have not been particularly um, bowled over by so far, but it's early days, isn't it? And uh, we need to, uh, you know, we've invested in a, uh, an international football here and we need to see him on the pitch. So Salah, yeah. Nunes, Gakpo. Yeah, he's certainly a goal scorer. Dolly, how about your front three? You spoke before about how impressive Gakpo was in that false nine. Or would you potentially switch Darwin Nunes out to the left and Gakpo down the middle? How are you going to shake your sack up? Yeah, I'm that impressed with Gakpo. He's dropped. Um, so Nunes comes in on the left. Harvey Elliott's on the right. Go back to our form. And Salah's down the middle because he thinks that he scored one in four or something like that, which for him is like a massive drought. And whenever that tends to happen, Klopp likes to get him a bit nearer the goal. We've seen Nunes can play on the left. We've seen that Salah can play down the middle. We've seen that uh, Elliott is obviously a, you know, a lot more comfortable at the moment, certainly on the right of the front three. We know that Thiago and Keita, you know, we know what they can do. Keita knows what Salah can do, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't really see a problem with the three of them playing in that particular position. And, as I just mentioned there, Nunes, if he's fit, he comes in and he's decent on the left wing. I mean, he played there against Tottenham, didn't he? And he, he set up a goal for Salah. So, yeah, there you go. That's what I think. In fact, yeah. to be honest, I think I actually think that is what will happen. That's what yeah. I think will happen. That's what I think he'll do. That's also what I do. I mean, I think having that pace as well, especially down the channels against what is likely to be a three at the back, I think it's possible to still play three at the back with Chelsea. I mean, if you've got Nunes exploiting, you know, whether it's the centre-half on that right-hand side, it's definitely a tactic that we could make use of. Kiefer, round us off then with your attack. I mean, it's an interesting shout for Harvey Elliott from Dolly. That's, you know, where he played when he was coming through. He's very impressive there against Wolves. Are you going to give him a shot as well or are you going to change things up? I, I did actually consider it as I was scribbling down my team halfway through this, but I'm going to going to bring Rich into the trenches with me and, and Nunes is going down the middle, um, Salah on the right. I just think up against someone like Thiago Silva and, you know, whoever else is drafted in to, to try and defend. Um, I, I just think you need, you know, you, you do need a, a physical presence, and I just think, as 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 Doyle said, you know, Nunes had a, a good few games, and obviously played there for Benfica on the left. But I think as well, I think Gakpo is a big lad, and, and we have seen for Holland that he does like to drift inside and, and kind of maybe sometimes plays that second striker. I think, you know, as I said, up against big centre halves, I think that is really gonna gonna help Liverpool. Um, so I know he hasn't had the, the you know the most eye catching start to his Liverpool career, but obviously it's been you know a difficult team to come into at a difficult time. So um, you know at, at this point, you know until the likes of Jota and and, and Luis Diaz are back from injury, I will be playing Gakpo, just kind of getting him up to speed and getting him used to his teammates, and, and hopefully that's something that will benefit him in the long run ahead of preseason and ahead of next season. So for me, it's it's Gakpo on the left, Nunes down the middle, and Salah on the right. Yeah, I think you signed Gakpo definitely to give him the game time. Now that's you know got to be some of the thinking behind that. Well, let's round off the podcast then with our predictions. Dolly, we'll come to you first. How do you think this one's going to go for Liverpool? Could be anything, couldn't it? Who knows? Literally, could be anything. Could be nil nil. Could be four all. Could be two nil to Chelsea. Could be three nil to Liverpool. One one. Kiefer? Oh, I was going to say one one. We go one one. Rich. Um. Unlike the prelude on match of the day the other night, I think it's going to be an anti-climax and it'll be nil-nil. Some very wow. everybody, everybody tune in for tomorrow's game. <laughs> 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 
I'm, I'm going to go for something far more positive than you two. I think Chelsea are going to take an early lead, but I think Liverpool will come back and win 3-1 and it'll be a massive turn-on victory. I mean, they could be intense should they lose to Chelsea, but they could also catapult themselves towards the top six of the table. So I'll be the positive one for the pod today. I don't think the kick-off time helps two struggling sides, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry to be a bit negative. I've been, you know I've been really positive all day as well because... I went out to buy a pair of curtains before I started my shift and I was struggling to find them. I said, I'm going to find some because I needed pleated ones, not rings. And I did eventually, and they're lovely. So um, I've put a bit of a damp squid on this now, I know. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I just, it, it, just the way things have gone, I, I think Liverpool could keep a clean sheet. They'll have kept two clean sheets on the run. And that is the basis to build something from. But um, you know, these uh, half 12 kickoffs, like sometimes they're, they're not the best, are they? I think I think if Liverpool score first, they win, but they just don't score first. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Hopefully, by about half past two tomorrow, Liverpool are in sixth place, not tenth place. Is all I'm hoping for. Anyway, well, let's wrap your, things your up. Your obsession with the league place—it doesn't matter. It only matters at the end it of the does. season. It does. It doesn't matter. It matters at the end of the season, matter. darling. The psychology matter. of being in sixth rather than tenth. <laughs> anyway, let's wrap it up there. We've got plenty there, I think, Dolly, haven't we? Must be the lowest combined league positions of the two clubs, though. So hopefully Liverpool do catapult themselves on and they kick on from that wall. So with a crucial three points, could jumpstart the season, as I said. We'll have all the build-up and post-match reaction for you across the Blood Red channel. So make sure you subscribe on YouTube and check in wherever you get your podcasts from, as well as of course keeping across the Echo site and social media channels for all the latest news and updates. But for myself, Patrick Smith, Ian Doyle, Keith McDonald, and Rich Garnett, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you next time on the Blood Red Podcast. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.